WNUR News. I'm John Ferrara. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, April 26. Tonight on WNUR News, a glimpse into the room selection process for returning students, a review of one Northwestern club's recent production of a burlesque show, a deep dive into an open letter from Mayfest, and an NU sports recap. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, students picked their housing for next year after being assigned a priority number. But what is that process like? Jessica Watts has the story. On Thursday, April 13th, Residential Services released housing priority numbers to all students that will be living on campus next year. The lower the number, the better your odds at getting the dorm you want to live in. It's fair to say it was Northwestern's version of the Hunger Games. Happy Hunger Games! And may the odds be ever in your favor. Medill first-year Justin Price echoes this sentiment. I think people are kind of scrambling to find y'all like oh I have to find a roommate who has a better housing number so I can get in here or like like what am I gonna do like my number is like in the thousands. The hours between Tuesday and Friday last week were the moments of truth. Students got to pick their housing. By 1.30 p.m. on the first day, the two most coveted dorms on campus, Shapiro, otherwise known as Lincoln, and Kemper Hall, were full for rising juniors and seniors. I sat down with Jenny Douglas, Director of Operations and Services at Residential Services, who filled me in on what the housing process is like. Uh, current students submit their housing contracts by a certain deadline, mm -hmm. and those students then receive a randomized priority number uh, that provides them eligibility to, for certain times within the returning student room selection process. Unless you are involved in a fraternity, sorority, or residential college, you are required to go through the lottery system process as an incoming freshman or rising sophomore. Rising juniors and seniors, however, have the option to live off campus. Price is one of the lucky few that was assigned to live in Lincoln Hall this past year. He also did not have to partake in this year's room selection process. I'm in a frat, Delta Tau Delta, so um, the way it works is sophomore year, your pledge class kind of moves in there and lives together in the frat house. So next year I'll be living in the frat house uh, with, um, with a roommate. So what is the process like for someone going from Lincoln, arguably one of the best dorms on campus, to a frat house versus someone going from dorm to dorm? Honestly, I think the experience for me is probably going to be different. It almost might be somewhat of a downgrade going into the fraternity house next year, um, just in terms of like the quality of the room and kind of like um, what we have access to. But at the same time, I think um, kind of moving from uh, a smaller community of just the four of us in our room to kind of getting to be in a community in the house where we all know each other and um, living in all, like almost our own dorm in a way, I think is gonna be interesting. Most of the other rising sophomores on campus will be moving from dorm to dorm or possibly staying in the same one, but there also needs to be room made for the incoming freshman class. Douglas details the process. We're pretty strategic with how we allocate beds to the different classes because it's important to us that students have an opportunity to interact with people from other class years. So we, um, we can take everyone's preferences and see sort of who wants what. And so we use that to inform the percentage of returning students to a building, for example. 
I asked School of Communications first year Americo Garza what he thinks of the lottery system process. I wouldn't say it's exactly efficient, but if you were to tell me to make up a process that would make it much easier, I couldn't give you something. The way I thought I was given the number was based on who had better, better housing and who had worse housing. So I feel like the people who had said worse housing should get better housing or at least um you know and determine based like on where their classes would be like where where they would prefer to be at like every situation there are pros and cons to the lottery system some schools go by gpa or class ranking when determining housing others go by a first come first serve basis the lottery system keeps things completely random and diverges from increased academic competition among students here's what res services wants northwestern students to know about the housing process I think that we, Residential Services has been um, pretty thoughtful about creating the areas on campus and making sure that students have access to different amenities like faculty or um, facilities like mm -hmm. engagement centers. So I know that if a student feels disappointed in their uh, building, that what I would want them to take away is that they have access to a whole area of, of things that is consistent. And uh, we find that the programming that's offered by RAs and by faculty and residents uh, get, really gets students engaged and in community with each other across the area. Although the lottery system was the talk of the campus last week, now that it's over, students are anxiously awaiting their new homes. Whether someone believes they have gone from the basement to the penthouse or vice versa, the lottery system had students talking. What dorm are you living in next year has become an even more popular question than what's your major was during Wildcat Welcome. For WNUR News, I'm Jessica Watts. Moving on to arts and entertainment, Northwestern's Be Burlesque receives rave reviews for their out-of-this-world performance this past weekend. Izzy Pereja has the story. It's Saturday night at Northwestern. Sultry saxophone accompanies gentle percussion from the song Is It a Crime by musician Charday Adu, drifting through Wurtz Auditorium. Her soft and smoky voice is elevated by the fluid movements of a singular dancer dressed in a gold bodysuit. The music crescendos, the dancer melts to the floor in one powerful gesture, and the crowd roars. This was just one of the many memorable moments from Into the Astros, a showcase put on by the student organization Be Burlesque. It's just like a club for BIPOC students to, you know, I guess like learn burlesque and, um, I don't know, just kind of like build a community and build self-esteem. That was McCormick student Rebecca Duckett, one of the many performers for Be Burlesque. She was particularly grateful for the large turnout of active audience members who made sure to belt out cheers for every dancer. We had worked on it for four months, so I don't know, it was just nice to see that all of our hard work, like that the audience was really enjoying it and that, you know, like that everything went smoothly. And it was just like a really big confidence booster for sure. All of the dances adhered to the theme of outer space, as the name Into the Astros suggests. A variety of characters appeared on stage in extravagant lingerie and bedazzled accessories, from alien bounty hunters to sexy space Pokemon. 
This creativity and effort guaranteed that audience members would certainly not leave disappointed. It was like nervous excitement at the like at the beginning because it was just like I feel like I've only gone to like two burlesque shows before, so it was like like I know what I'm expecting, but I guess because it's like different because I felt like I actually knew the people who were in it, so it's just like oh I can't wait to like see what's going on. Immediately as I entered um, the audience, it just felt like a very safe space. Everyone was really engaged um, and super excited to watch, which really made me really excited for the show. And then, like, the second it started, I, it was just like an immediate, just like, ah, I love this. <laughs> it, it just, like, kept getting better. I felt like the energy was really good. And throughout the entire thing, it was just an amazing performance, probably one of my favorite things that I've been to on campus. I was amazed. Wow. I really had a good time watching it. But then I thought like the concepts were very like, they kept, they kept surprising me of like, wow, like you guys really outdid yourself. I was not expecting like putting such a common situation into like, uh, you know, like high concept kind of thing. While Bee Burlesque's performance proved to be both impressive and entertaining, it also managed to provide a unique and irreplaceable space for creative expression in Northwestern's community. Over the course of Bee Burlesque, like we were like really building a lot of friendships and then like between just like our larger group as a whole and then our smaller group, I don't know, I just felt like at that point we'd really built like a sense of community and I'm just like, I don't know, our relationships were so strong that it just felt nice that for our final show, we were all able to just like come together and just like to see all the hard work that we all put in. It was just so um, rewarding. I just really enjoyed seeing my friends that I went there to originally see just because like in most contexts that I see them, like Northwestern can be super stressful. So it was just really amazing to see them be like very confident and excited and like really happy. Um, and just dancing together. I think that was just really amazing because I think there isn't a lot of room for that on Northwestern. I definitely think it's like an inclusive environment for, I guess, just more, I guess, people of color and like minority students. I definitely feel like having a safe space where it's like, that's the main brand of it definitely puts on a different like experience when you're like going there. So a lot of the audience you could tell like coming in were like also I guess, students of color. For WNUR News, this is Izzy Perea. And in the world of oddities, Dillo Day is less than a month away, and this has been far from a typical year for Mayfest, the festival's production company. Allison Rauch has the story. Dear Northwestern community members, we love putting on Dillo Day. For the past 50 years, we at Mayfest Productions have produced the nation's largest student-run music festival, an event that has garnered recognition from industry professionals and other universities. It's a On April 4, 2023, the Daily Northwestern published an open letter from Mayfest Productions in the opinion section. Mayfest is the student group that puts on Northwestern's annual Dillo Day, the largest student-run music festival in the country. Their message last Tuesday was serious. Dillo Day 2023 could be Northwestern's last. The issue comes down to money. In the letter, Mayfest describes what they call, quote, unprecedented financial struggles, end quote, explaining various pitfalls with reaching administration members for assistance with corporate sponsorships and an anonymous donation. 
They closed the letter by stating, We urge the administration to find a solution that ensures a sufficient amount of continued and stable financing for Dillo Day and other events that are essential to the student experience at NU. A more attentive senior leadership is critical to fulfilling the needs of student organizations like ours and, thus, the larger NU community. Mayfest's executive board signed the letter, including Daria Donishmand, a senior studying journalism and neuroscience. She and junior Catherine Duncan, who studies journalism and international studies, serve as co-directors of promotions for Mayfest. They describe how the open letter came to be. I would say it was in the drafts for a while, but we it was very much a collective effort. We just wanted to make sure that whatever we did put out was representative of just all of our, just how we all felt about the situation without really placing blame in situations where it like wasn't really wasn't the goal to do so and really more just like start a conversation around campus. Yeah, I think like we just wanted to be transparent on where we were in our process and what we were struggling with. And I think an open letter was sort of the best avenue to do that. Since its publication, support has poured in from the Northwestern community and beyond. Duncan describes the experience on Mayfest's end. I mean, I feel like it has been really positive and students and parents and people have really been showing their support, which like we appreciate so much. And that's been such nice feedback and just response for us to hear, especially after putting in so much work throughout the year. Work that this year has been more complicated than usual. Duncan said that financial issues combined with the lack of administrative response has been quite the process for the organization to deal with. We did face like financial cuts and just some avenues that we tried to take to compensate for that weren't necessarily open. The open letter somewhat breaks down the financial situation. Mayfest receives the core of their budget from the Associated Student Government Student Activities Finance Committee. ASG publishes their past funding allocations dating back to spring 2019 on their website. Last spring, Mayfest received a total of $354,440 from ASG. Taking the data available from spring 2019 to spring 2022, Mayfest receives an average of $344,078 from ASG each year. Information on spring 2023 funding allocations is not yet available online, nor was it mentioned in the open letter. Donishmand went into more detail about the budgeting issues. Partially from what I've heard from previous exec and just generally, my understanding is that the money always is tight. And so working within the budget means there's there's really not... It's always a lot of work to make the budget work for us, but there's a line where it feels a lot less feasible versus we're just doing our best. In the open letter, Mayfest attributes issues with their booking committee's operations to, quote, lack of clarity with the administration with regard to our budget, end quote. Therefore, the unprecedented aspect this year seems to be the additional funding that Mayfest states they request from senior administration. What exactly could this mean? According to Northwestern Student Organizations and Activities webpage, there exists something called a Senior Leader Fund. Student organizations can request a grant from the Office of the President, the Office of the Vice President for Student Affairs, and or the Office of the Provost. Each office has their own budget they can distribute, and typical grants range from $1,000 to $2,500. Northwestern's SOA website does not list other grant options that deal specifically with senior administration, although it is important to note Mayfest does not explicitly state that they applied for this grant. 
Aside from vague terminology, there are additional aspects of the open letter that are fairly opaque. For one, Metha states in the open letter that This year, we received 13% of the funding from the senior administration that we received last year, but production costs have increased by 60%. Mayfest does not maintain publicly available information on their production costs and budgets, even for past Dillo days. The only public information that gives some sort of a clue to Mayfest's budget is ASG's allotments, which obviously do not take into account senior administrative funding. Therefore, Mayfest's statement about reduced lack of funding and increased production costs isn't as transparent as it may seem. Mayfest has not made it clear whether their lack of disclosure is to prevent university pushback or for their own reasons. These confusions aside, it's clear that the university has been largely unresponsive in regards to Mayfest's budget concerns. At the time of airing, university spokesperson John Yates has not responded to multiple requests for comment on the open letter, as well as questions about the administration's process for funding student organizations in general. Because transparent information is not available through the university nor Mayfest, the Northwestern student body is largely in the dark about the future of a beloved campus tradition. With few details and explanations, all that's left to do is wait and see. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.21 p.m. Central Time. It's time for your weekly sports report. A lot has happened in the last seven days. Lacrosse won the Big Ten, the golf teams have impressed, and softball has kept on winning. Brendan Prizman has the sports report. Hello, I'm Brendan Prizman. It's time for your NU sports report for the week. The women's softball team continued their unbeaten streak in Big Ten series by defeating Michigan last weekend. While the Cats didn't win all three games, they were able to take both the opening and closing games of the series. That seals a 15-2 conference record and a move to 30-10 overall. The first game of the series was a defensive struggle. Despite home runs early on from Angela Zedak and Kansas Robinson, Northwestern couldn't pull away. A two-run fifth inning from the Wolverines resulted in the game being sent to extra innings, adding even more dramatics to the proceedings. In the 10th inning, Nikki Cochran singled to right, scoring a run, but Michigan would match it in their half of the 10th. A Jordan Rudd single on her first hit of the game resulted in a 4-3 lead, which Lauren Boyd would help the Cats hold on to. She closed the game with a strikeout, earning a 4-3 Wildcat win. The second game was much less fun for Northwestern. Michigan's defense remained staunch, but Northwestern's completely collapsed. The Wildcats finished the game with one hit. The Wolverines had 13. The game was blown wide open in the third inning, when Cammie Henry and Sidney Supley combined to give up 12 runs on two home runs, three walks, and four singles. The game ended with a score of 15 to nothing, and it wasn't even really that close. Northwestern needed a strong bounce back in the third game, especially from their pitchers. They got it with Boyd and Danielle Williams. The two combined to allow just six hits and no runs, completely reversing the trend from the prior game. However, the offense still struggled, and the score remained deadlocked at zero heading into the seventh and final inning. That was until Robinson and Rudd, who had been clutch hitters all series, woke up. A single apiece from both of them combined to bring home three runs, which marked the final margin of three to nothing. This series was also the first time Northwestern softball beat Michigan in a series. On to women's golf, the women's golf team finished second at the Big Ten Championships last weekend. Despite opening the tournament with a round of plus 11 and sitting nine strokes behind eventual winner Illinois, the Wildcats bounced back strong and finished just three strokes behind the Illini. Northwestern placed four players in the top 15, the most of any team. 
Jennifer Kai, Janie Lee, Lauren Nguyen, and Kelly Sim were those four, and Sim finished in a tie for sixth. The main reason Illinois was able to win was because of Crystal Wang, who shot a 2.01 for the tournament and won by an astonishing 12 strokes. Northwestern was the best team by far on the long holes, shooting 44 over on par fours and 13 under on par fives. Both of those were tops in the tournament by two strokes. Nguyen also had a great run on par fours individually, finishing third in the tournament in par four scoring. The Wildcats, who were ranked 14th in the most recent poll, will look to bounce back at the NCAA regionals, which are held May 8th through May 10th. As for fencing, the team competed in the North American Cup, or NAC, from April 21st through April 23rd. The team recently finished 7th at the NCAA Championships and was looking to continue the hot streak. Karen Wang placed 21st in the Junior Women's Epee and also earned a tie for 3rd in the Division I Women's Epee. In the Division I Women's Sabre, Sky Miller earned the 33rd spot in a tough field of over 100 competitors. In Team Sabre, behind Miller, Megumi Oishi, and Kaling Sathyanath, the Wildcats finished in a tie for 3rd. However, Team Epe was more disappointing, with the team only able to garner 6th place out of 11 competitors. However, considering both Wang and Oishi made All-American this year, and that the team finished as a top 10 squad in the country, this was a very successful season. The women's lacrosse team clinched their second ever Big Ten title on Saturday. The current number one team in the nation was sitting at number two when they welcomed number 12 Maryland into Martin Stadium. The first period was very low scoring, but Northwestern held a 4-2 lead behind some great solo goals from Izzy Skane and Aaron Koikendall. However, Maryland flipped a switch in the second quarter. They held the Wildcats scoreless and would have taken the lead if not for some incredible saves by Molly LaLiberty. Nevertheless, the teams went into the halftime break deadlocked at four. That was roughly when Madison Taylor and Haley Radigan decided to take over. The duo combined for four of Northwestern's five goals in the third frame, helping push the lead to 9-5. to five. In the fourth quarter, Radigan continued her assault on the goal by pushing two more goals through. She had four goals all in the second half, and when those combined with four points from Koikendall, Northwestern was able to get a 13-6 win. The Wildcats will now have a bye week before beginning play in the Big Ten tournament two weekends from now. The win over Maryland pushed them to number one not only in the conference, but in the country. Title number eight may be on the way. And finally, the men's golf team finished second in the Fighting Illini Spring Collegiate. They had no hope of beating Illinois, the third-ranked team in the nation, on their own turf, but the Cats held off the rest of the field to earn a second-place finish by nine strokes. Daniel Sfard finished second in the tournament by just two strokes, and David Nifjall finished sixth, nine strokes behind Sfard. However, the rest of the team had a rough tournament, with none of the other three golfers finishing in the top 28. The 23rd-ranked golf team will be back in action at the Big Ten Tournament this weekend. For WNUR Sports, I'm Brendan Prisman. Now, let's take a look at the weather forecast. Heading into tonight, expect temps to drop down into the high 30s. Luckily, the wind should stay quiet and meteorologists aren't expecting any precipitation. Into tomorrow, things will really start to turn up. Expect mostly sunny conditions and highs up to 59 degrees. Will I jinx us if I say I think we're finally making headway towards summer? Taking a look into the headlines, President Joe Biden announced his bid for re-election on Tuesday. The commander-in-chief is currently 80 years old and would be 86 by the time he'd leave office in 2029. President Biden's announcement was met with mixed reactions given concerns about his age. So far, his only declared challengers in the primary are Marianne Williamson and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. The United States and South Korea reached a deal today that will see South Korea not pursue production of nuclear missiles in exchange for a greater say in a potential American response to North Korea using nuclear weapons. The move comes as a push for denuclearization grows amid many Western countries. In tech news, 
The UK's Antitrust Committee rejected Microsoft's attempted purchase of video game maker Activision. Many, including the regulatory board, worried that the deal would give Microsoft too much power in the gaming industry. The sale was reported to be worth $75 billion, but now it might not go through. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR news stories on our website, wnur.news. That's wnur.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Michelle Huang, and our reporters are Jessica Watts, Izzy Pereja, Allison Rauch, and Brendan Preisman. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm John Ferrara, and catch our next newscast on Wednesday or Friday, April 28th at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming.